brothers and sisters, those of you who have joined us on live stream, we greet you in the name of the Lord. And we are continuing in our series on the person of Jesus Christ in this series of messages. We're exploring who Jesus is as revealed in the record that God has given of his son. They're not, it's, not a, it's not something made up. It's not a cunningly devised fable. It's an account of who Jesus is. The aim is that you would, by faith, come to more fully understand his person and comprehend what he is doing in salvation. Because you will only understand what God is doing to the degree that you know Jesus Christ, intimately know him. Like a husband knows a wife. If you don't know Jesus, you see, you really don't really have the faintest idea of what reality really is. Jesus is the truth. He's the express image of the Father. So if you don't know Jesus, not only will you not know who God is, you won't really understand what he's doing either. Let me tell you, God is doing far more today than mankind is currently giving him credit for. Now, see, there was a time in the past where God winked at this kind of ignorance, but not today. Not today. We're living in a time when the door is open. There's a door open in heaven. We're living in a time when God has announced to humanity, come. All things are ready. Come to the feast. We are living in the day. It's the day of salvation. We're living in a time where God can be known and what he is doing can be known. His purpose can be known. His will can be known. And if God can be known, then it's wrong not to know him. And there's absolutely no excuse for anyone to remain ignorant. Although men certainly have given their excuses for the time being, but when the Lord returns, they're going to have to fold up. What seems like a good excuse to them today for not knowing the Lord will not stand up in the day of judgment. Mark my words. But praise God, brethren, we've been delivered from such ignorance. As we become acquainted with Christ, we are actually becoming acquainted with the living God and his purpose. The more we know Christ, the more we know and understand the will of God and the purpose of God. And where life in this world appeared once to be random and meaningless and confusing, we now see it as ordered and structured and purpose-filled, even in the midst of agitation and turmoil and the heathen who currently rage. We were once blind, but now we see. Praise God, Jesus is working! And specifically, Jesus is building. This takes us to our text in consideration today. You want to know what God's doing? Listen up. Jesus spoke this to his apostle Peter. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I'm not going to dive into all the implications of this verse, but rather the emphasis of it. The focus of this verse is not really on Peter, although Jesus confirms here that Peter is something different than a lot of modern preachers have presented him to be. 
Elsewhere, he told Peter, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone, a rock. Now, Jesus said he's a rock, and I know other people today only know Peter by the title of denier. But that's another sermon for another day. No, the focus is not on Peter. It's not even on the church in this verse. And it certainly isn't intended to set our focus on the initiative against the church, God forbid. The focus of your preaching and teaching should never be like what is against us. Like That shouldn't be like the, the overriding consideration in preaching and teaching. It's what is for us. We need to declare what is for us, not just what is against us. Oh, if the dark and swampy world of Christian eschatology could wrap its head around that one, we'd be hearing a lot less about the mark of the beast and a lot more about the earnest of the spirit, see? I want to hear about the earnest of the spirit. We'd hear a lot less about the Antichrist and a lot more about Jesus Christ the Lord. We'd hear a lot less about Armageddon and a lot more about the judgment day of God. We'd hear a lot less about the tribulation of the saints and a lot more about the triumph of the saints. See, the focus isn't on the apostles. It isn't on us. It isn't on the church. It isn't on the opposition, but on the person of Jesus Christ and what he is doing Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the emphasis of that verse. Jesus is calling the shots. Jesus is preparing the way. Jesus chose the apostles. They didn't choose him. He chose them and ordained them. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith wouldn't fail. Jesus opened up his understanding. Jesus gave him life. Jesus sent the Holy Ghost. Jesus empowered him at Pentecost. Jesus is building the church and is successfully building it without issue, without defect, right on schedule, having lost nothing and in a manner that cannot be overcome by any opposition, not even the gates of hell. Not even the gates of Hades could. Not even death itself can overcome the church. For in the end, it too will be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus is the builder. Now, every day in the world, we're all faced with varying circumstances that testify of this truth. That the things, practically everything of use and purpose and order is constructed. Things are planned, conceptualized, constructed, modified, added upon, put together in a way that they become ultimately fit for what they're originally intended for. All of the components of an automobile, for for instance, they can be created in a factory, but they are not of any use until they are put together. If any part of your car is missing, like the, like the wheels, for instance, it doesn't matter how many other parts function and how good the engine is. It's not going anywhere without the wheels. And if the car is complete but it has no fuel to burn, it will not go anywhere either. So 
Things must not only be put together correctly, they must be empowered in order to work as well. They must be engineered in order to work as well. Just think about that. You can have a a church full of a bunch of people with a lot of talent, all working together, and if they're walking carnally after the flesh, they won't be empowered to get anything done for the Lord. Things have to be built. They have to be properly constructed. The ark had to be built. It had to be constructed from a specific material. It had specific measurements. It had a specific height and width and length and depth. It had to be covered in a specific substance. And every day it was worked on until it was finished. The same is true with the the church. There's a height and a width and a length and a breadth of salvation. There's a complete man. That is the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ that is currently being built every day until it is complete. And the tabernacle had to be built. These things weren't just, they they weren't just created. These things were constructed. The tabernacle was constructed from a pattern. And from the outside, the the construction of the tabernacle didn't really look too impressive, did it? It was the unseen part of the tabernacle that was precious, remember? The outside of the tabernacle was covered in badger skins. The badger skins really aren't... Google badger skins and see what you come up with. It's not going to be really anything to be impressed with. But inside the tabernacle... Just about everything was overlaid in gold. Even the beams that supported the structure were overlaid in gold. There was all kinds of fine craftsmanship in there. The church may not be a whole lot to look at now by those who are on the outside. But mark my words, when the inner beauty of the church was revealed in all of its glory, and we are glorified with Christ, There will be absolutely nothing that it can possibly compare with other than Christ himself. It says in several places in the scripture that altars were built for the Lord. Altar wasn't just assigned. There was altars that were built for the Lord. If there was an altar for a sacrifice, it was built This one really stuck out to me is how many times the word built is used in conjunction with a house or a city. There's hundreds of times this word is used in scripture. It's 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 referred to the building of a dwelling place or a residence. And the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build an house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. That's what God said. David wanted to build a house for God. And God said, that's a good thing that that's in your heart. Why did God say that? Because his purpose is essentially one and the same. The fact that David desired a house for God is right in line with what Christ desires as well. It's a, the church is the habitation of God in the spirit. 1 Chronicles 17, 12 says, He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. Now, textual context critics 
would say that that's only speaking about Solomon building the temple. But I say that a greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus is building a house for the Lord. Jesus is building his church. And God has established his throne forever. Again, it's written, but God said to me. This is him talking to David. God said to me, thou shalt not build a house for my name. Because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. David made war and shed blood. But Jesus shed his own blood and made peace. See, that, that's the one that's going to build the house. So if there's a house, if there's a city, it's something that must be built. It's something that's not just started. It's intended to be finished. Nobody... Nobody starts a building project just to like lay the foundation and walk away from the work. There's, a, there's an intended purpose for whatever's built. There's a reason. And the reason why things are like that in the earth is because it testifies that it's like that there. The reason why anything is built on the earth and constructed is because it's testifying to a greater truth. God didn't look down and say, you know, I'm going to build my church like how they're building that there. No, he made things like that here because it testifies of there. Christ is building his church, not not my church, although although there is a sense of ownership, not your church, his church. Christ is the head of the church. His church The church is not merely a mass of individuals. It isn't like just like a label for people who are saved. It isn't it isn't like a growing number of people, although it is a number. It it does contain a number of people, a number, a number that no man can number. This is something that must be built by Jesus, not just by adding numbers to it, but by preparing it. To be a suitable habitation for God himself. Since Jesus entered into heaven, he has not ceased from this building project. And even though the enemy has wreaked havoc upon the religious landscape through the doctrines of demons in his false counterfeit church, Babylon the Great, the gates of hell have not prevailed against the remnant church that Christ continues to build. From one perspective, Christ is building the church as a dwelling place for God. And from another perspective, the church, she is being prepared to be presented to Christ himself as a bride, as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. See, that's that's the result of, of the building project. That it should be holy and without blemish. And if he is preparing the church, and he is, then wherever there is a group of people who call themselves the church that are not busy getting ready for that day that will be presented before God, then I'd say that Christ is not in the midst of a place like that. He see, he's outside of that kind of a church. He's outside of that kind of a church and he's knocking. He is in mercy, standing at the door and knocking. 
He said, if any man hear, hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. He's looking for a reason to save you. He's not looking for a reason to condemn you. He's looking for those who will hear his voice and will open the door. Open the door. If you belong to an assembly that isn't busy getting ready, open the door. Come on back. If you know that I haven't been getting ready, just come on back now. Hear his voice. Open the door. Jesus is diligently building the church. He's the builder. And the project is big. It includes the authoring and finishing of the faith of a number that no man can number. God first had to give us to him and to draw us to him. But once we are his, we not only have to be continually kept by his power, continually cleansed by his blood, but there's a lot of work to be done in us. He that begun a good work in you, see, will complete it. There's a work that, that Jesus is doing. As we have previously discussed, this building project involves a refining process, a purging of things that are incompatible with heaven, a place that only righteousness can enter into. And it involves a transformation from one state of glory to another state of glory. That's in our perception of that glory. Jesus' building project involves providing things we need for guidance and for advancement and for understanding and for discernment and for wisdom and for knowledge. It involves us being brought to glory. Jesus is bringing us to glory as the captain of our salvation. See, he's, he can do this because he's been made head over all things. Jesus has been made head over all things, and so he can do this work. Jesus' building project involves sustaining his people and ministering things that make for spiritual growth in the members, feeding us and leading us as the good shepherd and bishop of our souls. Jesus' building project involves teaching and instruction to the church. It involves the dispensation of grace to help in the time of need. It involves his intercession and his mediation. And he is presently and exclusively, exclusively ministering to those who have been made acceptable to God. See, Jesus made peace between God and men. And those people he is currently has set his affection on and set, his, set them as the target of his ministry. How is he building his church? Is he in heaven doing all the work behind the scenes with zero involvement from us? Is that really what's going on? Some would say that that's the case. Someone would say, you say the sinner's prayer and you, you do the deal, and you get baptized, and then you're in. Well, that's just the beginning. But this, this building process involves a participation. We're, we're workers together with God, see. Amen. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Isn't that good? And of the household of God. And are, and are built upon the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets. The building's still going on. Not were built, are built. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In the revelation given to John, the beloved, he saw the foundations of the city. And on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, it says there in Revelation 21.14. Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus began this building project by the dispensation of the gospel to the apostles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was primarily the apostle to the Gentiles. The apostles declared and expounded the fundamental and foundational truth of Jesus Christ. There are things that you would never know about Jesus Christ had they not written these epistles, had they not shared this dispensation that was given to them. Christ himself is the foundation of all truth, and the apostles define the boundaries, or the location rather, of that foundation. Without the apostolic writing... We wouldn't know anything about the foundation on which to build. They both declared and expounded the truth of the gospel to the rest of the church. Now, there's more than just apostles in the church. Talking today about Jesus Christ, the builder. There's more than just apostles in the church. There are also prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. See, there are also participants in this building project of the Lord. And, they, and what they are responsible for doing, is this isn't like an ambiguous thing, brethren. The Holy Spirit's actually been quite careful to spell this out for us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 12. And verses 12 through 16. These gifts are given for the perfecting of the saints, which means that once you're in, the, the, the work of perfection isn't over. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. See, there's work to do once you're in. For the edifying of the body of Christ. See, there's something that needs to be realized as the result of this ministry. We don't just talk to fill a time slot. There's a building project that's going on for the... Till we all come, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, have, have, have we all come to the unity of the faith yet? The, this, Jesus is building his church. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now that's the mark, brethren. That's the mark we're pressing towards. That henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now I want to go over that again, but I want you to notice the progression 
and what I just read. There is a work of perfection. Mm -hmm. There is a work of ministering. There is a work of edification. There is a realization of unity. There is a like-mindedness among the brethren. There is a mutual knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a filling of every member. There is a realization of spiritual maturity in every member. There is the same speaking of the truth and love in every member. There is a joining together of every member of the body, which what the other members contribute and by what they contribute. There is an effective working among the members together. And there is an increase in the body by the edifying of itself in love. Now that's the, that's the emphasis of what Jesus is doing in building his church. This is a work that's assigned to every member. Not, not just the pastor. Not just the preacher. In Christ's church, this is the work that's being done in every member now. Every member, is there's a re, there will be a realization of unity. Every member grows up in the knowledge of Christ in all things. Every member. When we get to the end of time... This will have been a precise description and depiction of every single congregation that truly belonged to the church that Christ has built without exception. With no exception. Now you can see the progress of this and you can ask yourself. You can use these things to examine where you're at. The kind of congregation that you are in. I mean, we can pray for it, too. The members empowered by Christ and submitting to him are all involved in the work, and their work fits together to the same goal and to the same end. Sometime, <clears throat> sometime after the Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah, the cupbearer for Cyrus, he initiated the rebuilding of the city walls of Jerusalem. And, and if you remember, he employed his brethren in the work. He, did, he didn't go there by himself and build the wall. He employed the people of Israel to build. Build with him. And, as they, and, and, you know, they were working on a wall. And so everybody's work had to fit together. You couldn't start on this part of the wall and just kind of build your own way. And then this person start building over here. And, it, and they're going to meet in the middle eventually, see? Work that isn't performed on the same foundation will never fit together. But see, we're, we're building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And as a result, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the work is intended to fit together by all the members. See, the same is true for the church. Jesus, the cupbearer for the father, as Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king, Jesus, the cupbearer for the Father, has initiated the work of building the city of God and has employed us in the work, a work that must fit together. Whether it is the work of an evangelist or a pastor or a prophet or a teacher, everyone's work is included in the progression that we see there in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's a great building project. That's a great work. That's a great work. Don't let anyone talk you out of setting your hand to a work like this. I know that this contradicts things like the Great Commission. 
that teaches that the primary work of the church is like saving the lost. And we're not against saving the lost, but this is the truth. Be sure there's going to be some modern Sanballat and Tobiah saying, what are you doing building that? You ought to be down here in the plain of Ono with us. They'll say things like, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good as if somehow that's possible. They'll say, you should know it's better to be a soul winner than a pew warmer. I've, I've probably heard that a thousand times. Nowhere in the epistles, nowhere in any epistle is evangelizing the lost affirmed as the primary business of the church. Look and see for yourself. Not once was any congregation commended for their outreach efforts or rebuked because of their lack of it. Just look and see for yourself. Why? This is because when the church is on track with Jesus' building program, and they really are going on to perfection, and they really are built up as a habitation for God, there is no possible way that they will not be influential where they're at in the world. There is no way that a congregation can be involved in the work of perfection and ministry and edification and unity and like-mindedness and the knowledge of Christ and the filling of every member and being spiritually mature and loving and effectively working together and not be influential to those who are outside and lost, who are seeking the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If we're not built up, no one will know the truth. Jesus is the builder. He's ministering to his people and to his people only. That's where Jesus' building is at. I will build my church. The Holy Spirit is given to his people. The angels are charged with the care of the church, not the care of those who are on the outside. The leaders in the church are over and over and over and over again told, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter was told three times in a row by the Lord, three times. When Jesus asked if he loved him, he said, feed my sheep. God is, God's hand is against the shepherds that don't feed the flock. Peter solemnly charged spiritual leaders, feed the flock of God among you. It's always a sin to turn to the ungodly and sinner if it comes at the expense of feeding the flock of God. Does the current state of the church today tell you that the flock of God is being fed or tended or comforted or perfected or edified? Nehemiah encountered opposition all of which were unsuccessful, yet because the people were diligent and on guard. They, they even slept in their armor. They had a trowel in their right hand, and a sword, they had a trowel in their left and a sword in the right. They were, they were ready for the opposition, but they didn't cease the building. The church will no doubt encounter opposition, but no weapon formed against us will prosper. But we've got, you've got to sleep with your armor on too. You have to have a mind that's ready to work and ready to fight. A trowel in the left hand and a sword in the right. 
Our opposition doesn't just come in the form of atheists coming to take our prayer out of schools. That, that certainly is an opposition against the living God. But our heaviest opposition comes in the name of Jesus Christ. It parades itself around like an angel of light. It comes in the form of falsehood, disguising itself as nobility that is robbing the people of nourishment and causing them to become weak and ineffective. And if the church is weak and insipid, no one will want to become a Christian. If there is not a marked difference between us and them, why become like us? If we're not edifying ourselves in love, how will they know? If we don't love one another, how will they know that we're his disciples? I wrote this poem a little over a year ago, and I have presented it here before, but I thought that especially with the times that we're living in currently, that this is a good one to repeat. But I, I beseech you, and I'm asking you, brethren, that those, and everyone who's listening that has ears to hear that can listen and, and hear this right now, I'm asking to, for you to join with me in these words. This is a prayer to God. This is a good this is a petition that resonates with the heart of our builder. I, I have re, I have retitled it the petition to the builder of the church. O Lord our God with thee we do plead. Please hear our words and please see our need. We're coming to you, not going to men. Let our words be approved and please hearken to them. We seek your counsel and that for your sake. Your name, O Lord, remains surely at stake. We've heard the report. It's sad and it's bleak. The truth has fallen down flat in the street. We aren't saying, Lord, that everyone's lost, for a remnant remains that hasn't been tossed. So bring us together and gather us, God. Your people are mingled and scattered abroad. The church is divided and your word is misspoken. The walls are all down and the gates are all broken. How shall we, O Lord, make speedy repairs? Our heart is involved and for this really cares. But to perform this work, we find not a way. So we're asking for guidance for you on this day. We're crying to you and we stand in the gap. We're confessing the sins of the church that fell back. Some who, like Ephesus, have left their first love, or as Pergamos, they're spreading false doctrine thereof. And some who are working towards death and towards hell by the many called prophets and those Jezebels. And like Sardis, have names like they're thriving and living, and they boast in their fame and their tithing and giving. But even solemn assemblies, O Lord, you despise when your people aren't gathered with Christ in their eyes. Gross sin has abounded, for love has grown cold, and the shepherds aren't feeding the flock in the fold. And the truth is replaced by the tale and the lie. Lord, help strengthen the things that are ready to die. Remember your word and draw near to us. We're coming to you and in you we do trust. So give us your favor and a work of your hand to build up the church stronger than it began. And gather your remnant from east and the west 
those who've survived and passed through the test, and bring us together with resource to build, with all gifts employed and with charity filled. And give us one mind to work and to fight, with a trowel in the left and a sword in the right. Teach us, O God, and give us discernment to cast down the lie and to outwit the serpent, and build up the walls and order restore that falsehood may never enter anymore. And build up the gates where things can come in like preaching and teaching and blessing again. And build up the gates where things can go out like sorrow, repentance, and discord and doubt. And as we begin this great work in your name, Lord, we know we'll be called off the wall to the plain. So give us strong speech and let truth roll off the pallet, convincing the gainsayers and combating Samballot. This work is not easy, and this condition's persisted, but your remnant believes thee and is standing committed. Your name will be honored and known for its worth, and its knowledge like waters shall cover the earth. So teach us, Lord, to know the mystery, to stir and provoke the Jews to jealousy. Our heart is on fire, how deeply it yearns to see your hand working when Israel turns. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is our one request. We commit ourselves unto the Son. Lord, be forever blessed. Lord, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom is glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brethren, do you have anything that you would like to add? Brother David. In 1 Peter 2, it says, uh, We are coming as unto a living stone, speaking of Christ, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And now speaking of the brethren, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And it goes on about Christ being the, the chief cornerstone. And he was uh, the one who we're supposed to be building in the house of the Lord there. The chief priests and elders and scribes and Sadducees, they, they rejected him and they disallowed him. But God chose him, and he is made the head of the corner, the cornerstone. And so we're just talking about this house that's being built up, and we're part of the house of God. And the living stone, we fit together, all on the same foundation, all with the same purpose, and he is the one doing the building. Amen. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 concerning, uh, well, how, how much higher than Moses Jesus Christ was. talks about how Moses was faithful in his house. Well, he was in the house of the Pharaoh at that time. But Jesus is so much superior than Moses. He's not just a servant. He's just the son. And his... Uh, 
Speaking of Moses, this man was counted worthy. Speaking of Jesus, this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had builded the house hath more honor than the house. And if you think about that, a lot of focus is put on the church and honor and glory of the church. Well, the church is Christ's body, and there is, we're going to be found without spot, found to glory and honor. Amen. But the church is not the emphasis. The house does not have more honor than the one who built the house. Amen. Amen. So the focus is on Christ. He Amen. is the one who built the house, is building the house, and he deserves all honor and glory. And take the attention off the emphasis and focus off of the church and onto Christ. Amen. I appreciate your pointing out the scriptures in Ephesians 4 about the reason for the given all these gifts to the church for the building up of the body, for perfecting of the saints, yes. the work of ministry, edifying the body of Christ, that's, mm-hmm. that's the emphasis. But in so doing, we are working with him, building in the house. Amen. Amen. Sister Benita. Jesus told his apostles, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... The emphasis on building the church is more than just uh, growing up the Christians. It's making Christians. Mm-hmm. It's telling the lost about the gospel. When he said, yeah. when Jesus said, uh, preach the gospel, God sent me to go from, not to stay in this one town, but to go to others so that everybody could hear the gospel. Amen. The gospel <clears throat> is that Jesus saves. The gospel is that there's a way to heaven. And uh, in in, outreach cannot be eliminated from the purposes of every Christian. No, no. It can't be. No, no. It it sounds a little bit like that, but it can't be. It's part of, if we weren't, left here to do a job then we would be as soon as we became Christians we'd go to heaven you know there's a reason we're staying here one of the reasons is to develop our holiness and our uh, character and the other reason is to be a witness and uh, the we are saved he said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony mm-hmm. we have to give our testimony not only to our fellow uh, Christians, but also to the world. Amen. It's pretty important. Uh, and to say one thing is more important than the other, I don't know. I think both are important. <laughs> Amen. You are a city set on a hill. Mm-hmm. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Mm-hmm. Not should not be hid. Cannot be hid. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for a church to excel in the things of God and not be influential where they're at. Yes, brother. Yes, it, no church is ever rebuked for not outreaching. Just yeah. because that's part of spiritual life. Amen. Right. Uh-huh. And uh, infiltration of the church of false things has started, and Paul's commented to the Corinthians about it, because they'd been duped by some other people. And he said that in every in the building, and he referring to the church, there's 
six different kinds of people. Gold and silver and precious stones, none of those can be consumed by fire. Mm -hmm. Then there's wood, hay, and stubble. They can be consumed by fire. Mm -hmm. And he said, if anybody puts wood, hay, and stubble, Mm -hmm. God's going to destroy them. Mm -hmm. And uh, even the people that did it will be tested by fire. So this is this is something that uh, has successfully been hidden from the masses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is just as is just as impossible for the church to be mature and not witness as it is for Jesus not to witness. That's right. Amen. It's just as impossible. Yes. Amen. And the and the emphasis is very clear in Scripture. All the churches, all the epistles were written to churches. Yes. And it was to build them up in the most holy faith mm-hmm. because that that's the people God works works through. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. When, when the church is fed a diet of, today I need you to go witness to ten people, and that's their diet that they're fed, that's a powerless diet. Yeah. Because we talk about what we love. Nobody has to tell me, I I need you to witness to 10 people. Nobody has to tell me that when I have Christ in my eyes. When 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 I have a fervent, when I have a fervent love for the Lord, you can't, you can't help but talk about these things. You can't help but be a witness. Your life is a witness. The decisions you make, the places you go, the friends that you have, the way you conduct your business, the way that you speak. Everything about you is a witness. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. It can't happen. Though it's, there's, the problem is, is that there has been an improper emphasis. When the church is fed a diet of you have to, you have to, you have to, rather than Jesus is, the results speak for themselves. Yes, brother. This, um, when you were speaking, this, uh, text in Acts 17 came up to me. It says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. See, there was a time when things weren't revealed. Things, Christ hadn't come yet. But mm-hmm. He says, Be, But now, right now, this whole age from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven, right now, is we're living in the day of salvation. What a day! We could be joined to the Lord. We could be redeemed. We could walk in the Spirit and have the Holy Spirit dwell in us. See, there's no excuse. They're without excuse. It says, but now he commanded all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he has raised him from the dead. Now this this prophecy, Brother David began today with talking about prophecy, fulfilled prophecy, and because it's fulfilled, we can trust in all other prophecy. In Habakkuk 2.14 it says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea, Amen. this day is coming. Amen. It may look bleak right now, but this day is coming. Amen. 
God's, God's not going to destroy this world until he fulfilled this prophecy. And he's doing it now. Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you remember Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. Yes. yes. If he's living in a person, mm -hmm. he hasn't stopped doing it. Amen. That's right. Amen. 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 See, a lot of these emphases are the results of a, of a dead church. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Amen. You didn't have to tell him that the early church went everywhere. Mm -hmm. Amen. They were persecuted. They went everywhere. Yeah. Preaching the word. That's right. They weren't told. Amen. But they were scattered. Mm -hmm. That's not what they were told. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, then they were told, but within. They went everywhere preaching the word. Amen. Amen. Amen, brother. I'm thankful for the ability to witness, be a witness for the Lord. That's right. Amen. I'm thankful, and I'm thankful for the one who, for those who didn't never cease praying for me, mm -hmm. and who were faithful to to tell me of the things that were was in their heart that the Lord set upon their heart. Amen. Thank you, brother.